Hi everyone! Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Uncovering Indonesia. Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Uncovering Indonesia. I'm your host Reina, and today we are going to talk about the controversial omnibus law, which was recently passed by the House of Representatives or DPR. We're going to talk about what it is why it's so controversial, the changes it brings, the issues surrounding it, and what we can do about it. So for today's episode, we have two very special guests to discuss all of this with. We have Miftahul Khairi, or as I call Ari, a corporate lawyer at a prominent law firm in Indonesia. And we also have Grace Binowo. She was the assistant to special advisors of the Presidential Task Force to Combat Illegal Fishing. How are you guys today? Hi, Reina. We're fine. We're good. good Reina. Thank you. But we're distracted by the current law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. Okay, for this past two weeks, we've all been really distracted and, and, and just um, getting our, trying to get our heads wrapped around this whole controversial law. But, you know, I'm so happy that you guys are here. I love how we have a corporate lawyer and an activist's um, perspective to discuss all this because I think it'll allow us to maintain objectivity. But before we get started, I'd like to remind our listeners that our discussions are based on our review of the law and any views provided here are our personal views and do not represent anyone or anything. And secondly, this discussion is based on our analysis of the 812-page version of the law. And it's really important we need to get that straightened out because there are multiple drafts of the bill that's being circulated. It was 1,028, and then it was 905 pages, and then 1,035. And then now the latest, as of the date of this episode, um, is the 812-page one. So we got to get that straightened out. Now that we have the preliminary matters um, all sorted, let's get down to business. So, for those of you who are not aware, um, the Omnibus Law is a comprehensive bill which regulates many provisions in various sectors into one law. Now, the term Omnibus itself means um, for everything. And the Omnibus Law we're talking about today is the one for job creation, or RUU Cipta Kerja. It includes the revisions to 79 laws that regulate diverse legal matters from land, labor, environment, licensing, and the government would like to standardize and harmonize these various sectoral laws to strengthen the economy, create jobs, boost investment, and basically make it easier to do business in Indonesia. So guys, what was your first impression when you first read the bill? Let's start with Bangari. Um, yeah, I mean, I have like a lot of um, points on, on my first impression, but basically first, I think this is like a, it's, it's a law reform. It's covering so many clusters of law, um, ranging from, as you said, employment, environment, sovereign wealth fund, um, energy, extractive industries, land, and so on and so forth. But because it's, it's a law reform, it's also like a complex body of, of rules. It's revoking or amending existing provisions, or it can also create new norms. But um, we need to be really careful in scrutinizing the provisions under this law because some changes may appear harmless in its text, but if you take a closer look 
to the revoke provisions and then you try to connect the dots between the revoke provision and uh, the new norm created, you, you then begin to see how they interplay and how the law, I would say, some sort of like cunningly create a change of policy. So, so you need to be really careful to read it and can just simply provide a conclusion based on like your um, reading of the law, but you have to find the connections, you have to find the interplay between the provisions. And this is the law of which draft was subject to heavy criticism back in March. So I think it would be very natural and only natural for people to, to have like certain prejudices against the law. And they are very inf invested in, in, in getting to know this law. And I think that's why like some people are, are, are discussing this, this issue right now, because this is, is a huge reform of law and it's a complex instrument and it was controversial back then. I mean, it's it's first draft, so that's why it's 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 natural that people would really scrutinize this. And I think that should have also applied to the one who passed this law, which is our parliament. All right. What about you, Faith? Um, so my first impression when I read uh, the bill was like, it's it surely was made and established by um uh, not special but a few people in the house of representatives who have interest specific interest uh on the bill because i can see how um the ways of the uh of the bill it really really um uh, prefer the interest of those some people and it was controversial, yes, as like uh, Ari has said before. Um, in addition to that, uh, I am uncertain to where is our government is heading with this law. Because as I read through the uh, labor and environmental uh, articles, it shows that our government is not heading towards a greener uh, and sustainable development kind of uh, investment, but rather um, a more, well, if I can say honestly, destructive ways of uh, investment. And moreover, it's not only uh, environmental impacts that, uh, that, are, that, are, that, that is clearly seen from the bill, uh, but also the social impacts on labors, um, how it brings more harm than good uh, to, uh, to the workers in Indonesia. So that's my first impression of the bill. And as I read through and through many um, strict um, measures that, that were there on its original law was actually downgraded to, um, to uh, more lenient measures uh, with this uh, omnibus law. I'm not saying that I am up for the complicated uh, ways of the uh, of the government before. I mean, I'm not I'm not in for the complicated um, permits licenses in, in, in the previous laws. But I don't agree with the government where um, it 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 decreases the importance or the urgency of a permit just because of the investment. And more to say, it decreases uh, the level of uh, quality in environment and also in social impact just because 
uh, you want to uh, aim for a higher or much, much more investment coming uh, to Indonesia. Oh, and, and, and actually, there's one big, big, big question when I read the bill. For whom the bill was made? For the investors? And for which investors? Local investors or foreign investors? And if it's foreign investors, who, who, who the investors are? Who are they? Who, who are these investors that are really keen and they're really aggressive to uh, invest in Indonesia that our government are willing to compromise many, many of the quality uh, of, 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 of our regulations to that extent? Or another question, if it's not foreign investors, it's local investors, who are these local investors? And as we, as we know, um, 70, almost uh, more than 70% of the House of Representatives are coming from um, uh, the parties that supports our current executives more than 70%. Um, those parties actually were inclined to our current executives. And uh, from those 70%, uh, and, 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 and from uh, our House of Representatives, 50% of the member of the House of uh, Representatives are actually businessmen and entrepreneurs. And unfortunately, most of them are in the task force of making this omnibus law. So one big question is that, uh, uh, that, that really uh, re reoccurring in my mind is that who are the investors that are that willing to invest? Right, and, and, and just, to, just to add to, um, to that as well, I think not only that the government has satisfactorily proven to us that the procedures, the substantive procedures um, have been met, it has also failed to respond to some of the substantive comments made by some of some of the experts. Now, let, let me go to the first issue regarding the, the procedure first. I think the way the government responded to the um, criticism that this is this lacks of public transparency is, is, is to state it in, in a simple way that, no, there has been public participation. Some people have been involved in this. And this is one of the most, I think this is, I think one of the, um, uh, executives in the, uh, I mean, one of the Balek, I don't know how to say that. I think it's the legislative body of the, deep, uh, yeah. the, the, the parliament. Itself. Um, he said that this is probably the, the law that has the most transparency in its making. But then the question is, it's not like we, we should, we shouldn't see that only from the surface. We should scratch like beyond the surface and see whether the alleged procedures that have been fulfilled by them have any meanings whatsoever. So it's not just about like procedural, it's not just about ceremonial that has been fulfilled, but whether, whether the, the comments of the relevant stakeholders have actually been heard or not. Yeah. So, so the fulfillment of procedures is not just a matter of ticking the boxes, you know, it's, it's, it's more to like whether, whether the fulfillment of the procedure itself has met its goal to really get the public involved substantively. And not just as a matter of like a like a ceremonial procedure or something like that. And second of all, I think the government is quite smart in trying to frame their response to the public. So the way they respond to the public is just by introducing 
the good parts of the law. So I'm not saying that this law is entirely evil. I think some parts of the law are good as well. But I think the way the government does it is, in a way, it's, it's, it's a smart way, but also I don't think they have responded to what the, what, what the public really is really asking, right? So they, yeah. they always frame it as this is the law to create jobs. This is the law that will create jobs for millions of Indonesians workforce that is going to find jobs soon. And, and we are in this current condition, economic recession, so we need this. So that's how they, they frame this law. And the way they explain that is to, to choose like the best features of the law, but I don't think the president or the ministers have actually responded to the most substantive criticisms by the relevant stakeholders and the experts. Yeah. So, 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 you know, I, I see this as a way like if, if you are campaigning, you choose the, the strength that you have and you just don't want to respond. Yeah, to, to you hide your the, flaws. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and, 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 and on that, and on that yeah. note, Ari, when you said that government framed it as if uh, they're, they're in urge, uh, uh, they're, they're in a hurry to actually create more jobs during the pandemic times. We have to remember that this omnibus law was actually first introduced uh, end of last year. Uh, when our our, our president uh, was actually inaugurated, and um, just uh, in in the early February February uh, this year, uh, our the president had actually um, conveyed the draft of the bill to uh, DPR, which means which means um, it was it was actually before the pandemic hit uh, our. Uh, our country, right? Because the first case was actually announced in March 1st this year. But um, the draft of the bill was actually given to DPR in February, early February this year. So I think uh, when the government uh, hit uh, behind the reason of creating more jobs in pandemic times, I, I don't think, I personally don't really buy it because uh, when we see this omnibus law, uh, like uh, what uh, our president had stated in the uh, press conference, uh, I think it was on the October 9th, uh, he said that um, we must wait for the um, uh, executing, executing uh, regulations, I mean, Peraturan Pelaksanaan PP, for the omnibus law to be implemented. But you know what? We, we need like almost 500 implementing uh, regulations in order to implement the omnibus law. And I just got this uh, a few hours ago that the word implemented by uh, Pepe, uh, implementing regulations, were actually uh, replaced by implemented in the regulating, uh, uh, in the implementing regulations, meaning that before we need fi 500 Pepe, right? 500 uh, implementing regulations. But just a few hours ago, I just got uh, the updates that it, it, it is most likely that the government will only create one big chunk of implementing regulations so i mean there there will be no 500 pepe there will be only one 
Pepe, which to me, it was more dangerous if, if, it, if it was to be implemented under three months, like uh, the instructions of uh, the president. So um, how, how can you finish a one big chunk of implementing regulations for 79 uh, bills or 79 laws in, in that omnibus law uh, under three months? And how can you ensure that that implementing regulations really, really can be into implemented? You know, the, 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 the principle of Um, asas dapat dilaksanakan the, the, the principle of can be implemented uh, uh, um, of the law do, do, do you get what I mean right yeah and also just just to to highlight that so I think when the public reads this and, and, and when the experts try to scrutinize this law I think the people go beyond what the goals are so the goals mm. are definitely noble to create jobs. Um, it can also be not only during the pandemic, but it can also be for, for, for future times as well. But the thing is... Which unnecessary to be released now. Yeah, but, but, if but it's the not law, for the, the pandemic. Law, that, is, that is one. And, and, and second of all, it's like it should not be evaluated in such a simple standard, you see. It's not like whether the law has a noble goal or not. But the right question is not on whether the purported objective of the law is noble or right or legitimate, but, the, but rather whether there is a com compelling public interest to be served and whether this, this law is actually narrowly tailored to achieve the goal and whether there are any other less restrictive means to achieve the goal. So why, why do I say that we should apply the standard? Because there are like some relevant and important rights of the public that are impaired by this law It tilts the balance of the relationship between the employee and also the employer. It affects some regulations on the environmental protection. And exactly because of that, we shouldn't just see beyond what the law aims to do and, and, and its, its goal, but we also see whether the measures taken under the provisions of the omnibus law are actually narrowly tailored in order to achieve that goal and whether there are other less restrictive means to to achieve this job creation or to to increase investment and and uh, we we may also question you know whether whether this law would actually help us to achieve its aim to make it easier to do business in indonesia and therefore increase foreign investment for example um reina but i'm not sure you know like i'm hopeful By, by granting certain ease and the streamline of the licensing process for the investors, that's good. But I'm not hopeful for like two things at least. One is um, whether the government has actually addressed the main issue for ease of doing business. So, so if you actually Google, if you take some time to Google the, the factors or the parameters for ease of doing business by Warplank, for example, there are many other, other relevant and, and crucial factors other than just regulatory licensing and, and ease of, of getting a business license and start a company. It can also be corruption. It can also be enforceability of the contract, which I find is very... Like, That's, I think, the most crucial part, the enforceability of contracts. That's a big issue, you know. If you want to address the, the elephant in the room, I think that's it. the most important, yeah. Also, the enforceable security interests. And, and so, so there are, like, other other issues and 
that, that, that should be addressed and corruption, for example, in, 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 in the first semester of this year alone, Indonesian Corruption Watch has said corruption is in, has, has reached um, 169 cases and mm. in, in 2019, mm. the number of corruption, the enforcement of corruption cases actually decreased from the previous years. And if, if you Google like reports by, by multilateral institutions, by other, other scholars, for example, you would see that corruption is one of the most important thing to be considered in ease of doing business and forcibility of contract. Like corporate lawyers, maybe Arena, you, you would also relate to this and how many court judgments actually affect how a contract Yeah, like it takes forever, forever and ever and ever to get to have a judgment. Yeah. And security <laughs> interests and and, and I think there are like other issues that can be addressed in the omnibus law, but did not address if they really want to achieve this, this process. And, and, mm, and mm, second mm. of all, the, the second issue that I'm not hopeful about this, this omnibus law, whether, whether the goal can be achieved is like whether this law actually can filter the types of investment that we want. Like this is the law, okay? This is the law passed the parliament and will, it will apply for years. It can apply for more than 20 years. It can apply for more than 30 years, right? So we need to think like a like in the long-term policy, whether this is a good option or not, and whether this is a good long-term policy or not, not just in a short-term horizon, whether this would create jobs. Like what kind of investments would we attract with this law? Whether this law accommodate, um, I don't know, um, sustainable investment or endorse that kind of investment, or this law is more like what's important is the number and quantity of investment which I think is wrong because the increase of investment doesn't necessarily equal to, I mean, can be equated to increase of workforce. Like investments can be labor intensive, investments can also be just capital intensive, but not really absorbing Indonesian workforce. Or even if it's absorbing workforce, whether the Indonesian workforce would be absorbed or not. So, so that's like a, a big question. That and, I if, and if Indonesian workforce uh, are actually absorbed whether it can actually um, improve the quality of life or not. I mean, with the current labor uh, regulations, laborers are really cheap and they can be replaced anytime. If I if I if I can say, and they're uh, they can be like forever contracted workers. Yeah. That's that's exactly like one of the one of the biggest issues I think uh, where we can start talking about right now exactly the substance of it. We've, we've talked about whether it'll achieve its aim. We've talked about um, the procedural flaws. Uh, let's jump in to the actual issue surrounding it, um, the actual contents of the law. Now we can see we can say that um, their intention was to increase investment, create jobs, but in reality, people are actually really upset. You can see the protests online and on the streets, the rallies all over the country. Um, and if we can see these protests, they're all surrounding, like what you said, employment and environment. Let's talk about the former first. The omnibus law makes substantial revisions to the employment law, law number 13, 2003. Now this includes provisions on minimum salary, um, expatriate work permits, uh, termination, and outsourcing. But the government said that this is all done to create a better balance between employers and workers. 
Now, what is your thought on this? Let's discuss this. And in what ways do the do this actually achieve the aim of creating a better balance between employers and workers? Or do they actually negatively impact the workers? So, uh, uh, Rain, I, I think um, I'm just going to add from uh, the policy point of view. And I think Ari is the right person to actually explain in details about uh, the employment law. So at the outset, I think the employment article set out in the omnibus law uh, raise so many questions as to how it could be implemented uh, to the laborers and also to the employers. Um, there are many articles um, that were, well, honestly, magically added to uh, the latest draft of uh, Omnibus Law, which, um, which for me, as a law student and uh, used to be a lawyer, um, it was quite confusing for me because you have to really, really read between the lines, not only the lines, but also you have to read between the lines and you have to compare uh, those articles to the original ones uh, in the employment law. So um, what I'm trying to say is that um, these articles raise so many questions and raise the question as to whether employer and the employees, the workers, have um, an equal standing or position um, uh, regarding how they can operate in the factories or, uh, or, or, or in, in their uh, um, work, working environment. So Ari, I think you can. Yeah, um, add to I think that. that's, that's a very interesting point that um, um, Reina said earlier on 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 some of the aspects of of the labor law that is amended um, in the omnibus law. First, I would go to the minimum salary. So under the the omnibus law, minimum salary is still there. So contrary to what some media may have um, informed that minimum salary is 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 extinguished or erased from the current regulation. That's not correct. It's still there. Uh, the difference is that the minimum salary is now determined by the governor instead of by the uh, region or the mayor of each municipality. Now, I mean, at, at face value, it may seem to create a balance because at the end of the day, there is a minimum salary determined by a governor. But the question is, the current omnibus laws say that the governor may stipulate the minimum salary for each municipality or regency, which means that's at his discretion. And so we don't know whether that discretion can actually create a good balance between employer and employee because who, who actually have access to, to negotiate on that, who, who actually have access to really urge the governor to issue the regency or municipality minimum salary, right? Although the standard to create uh, this provincial minimum salary is, is based on the economic condition and also take into account the economic conditions of uh, other regencies and municipalities. But the question is, there, it's not clear under the current regulation and, and for like how frequent this is going to be evaluated and how um, this is going to be determined and the procedures to determine. So, so I don't think there is a clear answer whether this current policy under the omnibus law on minimum wage actually create a balance. On, on the other hand, I think there are questions to, to, to ask whether the labor would have the same access and the same 
uh, bargaining position to actually urge for the governor to, to decide the minimum salary in their favor. And second of all, on the termination package. Um, also to, to clarify that this omnibus law still recognizes the lawful um, causes of termination that are set out under the old manpower law. So it's still there. And the severance pay, or we know it in Bahasa as Pasangon, is still there as well, um, together with the surface pay and also a compensation package. But the difference is, is, is not obvious to be um, located. You have to read it carefully because omnibus law deletes, deletes some provisions regarding uh, cost of termination and its specific method of calculation of severance pay or pasangon. So I take for example, uh, cost of termination because of acquisition of a company or merger of companies, or uh, termination because of disability uh, of the worker caused by the work accident. Now these causes of termination are still in the omnibus law, it's still recognized, but the difference is in the amount and the calculation of the severance pay. Under the old law, there, there are like specific rules on how to calculate the severance pay. So for example, if you are terminated by your company because your company is acquired or purchased by another company, then you are entitled to two times of the amount of uh, severance pay that you would receive. While under the current law, it's, it's just stated that such provision is no longer there, which means that you only receive what um, service, severance pay you would be entitled to according to your years of service. So if you work for three years, then you would receive four months of, of severance pay. But under the old law, if you are terminated because the company is purchased by another company or due to the acquisition, then you would receive twice of that amount, which is two times four amount of your uh, monthly salary. So that's, that's like a difference that is not obvious and you have to really carefully locate that. And I think whether that would create balance or not, again, I'm not sure because, I mean, and government can argue that that's to create a better economy to foster investment because um, the original amount of severance pay is quite high, but, the but then the question is whether we should also take into account other factor to consider this balance. For example, whether the standard of salary in Indonesia is, is actually good enough for, for the laborers, right? And the third one, as you said, Reina, and that's a very good point regarding the uh, exemptions to have the foreign manpower utilization plan be approved by the government. So, as a general rule, before a foreign worker or foreigner can work in Indonesia, their company must have their manpower utilization plan, Rencana Penggunaan Tenaga Kerja Asing, RPTKA, RPTKA. That must be approved by the Ministry of Manpower, right? But now the omnibus law grants additional exemptions for this requirement. So if the foreign workers work for technology-based startups, for example, or for vocations work, or uh, emergencies, uh, and also for uh, like, uh, I think there's also a, a research for a fixed period of time. That also raises a question whether this would create a good balance for Indonesian employees and employer or not. Because I, I think this may create competition for Indonesian employees because if employers don't have to get this uh, manpower utilization plan approved and then foreign 
employees can just come to work for technology-based startups, for example, or, or for vocational work, then there are questions of like how many words can actually be assigned to the foreign worker. And we shouldn't assume that foreign worker is expensive, okay? Like nowadays you can probably research, there are certain foreign workers who are actually probably paid more or less the same and they can work at, 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 at more hours, you know, and, and they can speak the same language with their uh, employer as in the majority shareholder of the company. So I guess that, that also creates a question of whether that actually creates balance or whether that creates competition. So, you know, maybe- So Ari, in other, uh, in, in other words, you are saying that this omnibus bill is not only creating jobs for Indonesian workers, but also maybe creating jobs for foreign workers. Is that what you're saying? I'm not necessarily saying that, but what, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is, um, you know, the question is regarding whether that, that creates a good balance between employee and employer, in particular Indonesians, right? Indonesian employees, Indonesian employers. And I think in order to assess that, we also, we also need to see whether there are potential reasons now for Indonesian employers to hire more foreign workers because of these exemptions. I'm not saying this would definitely materialize, but that's like something to discuss, you know? And that's yeah. certainly a reason, one of the reasons why we should we should carefully read the provision and 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 and, and, and I think uh, when you said um, you are not certain whether this will create a balance, um, another thing about foreign workers, which we may not assume they are actually paid higher uh, than than the local workers, is that because they are willing to work uh, by a contract basis. Uh, so um, foreign workers, they're not uh, really in a position where they wanted to be a permanent workers in a in, in, in a in a office uh, in a factory, but then they are willing to have uh, a contract. Uh, uh, they're willing to be paid uh, based on a contract, and as you know by. Um, this omnibus law, there is no limitation as to how many years uh, an employer, uh, an employee, or a labor can work under a contract. So it can be like in just for one year, two years, or even uh, ten or fifteen years. It's not specified yet in, in the in the current omnibus law. Yeah, and this is uh, the difference with the. Uh, labor law is that back back then i mean it's it's regulated it's two years extendable to one year so a total of three years now since that's removed it could be for many many years i mean they say that again they use the magic word of they will further regulate in peraturan pemerintah but again while we're waiting for that that's the issue i mean what's going to happen it could totally be used Yes, that's 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 exactly the problem when um, the government didn't put much of a basic principles in the omnibus law. Um, when that happened, then there are so many possibilities um, that can happen in the implementing regulations. So, from from both of your explanations, it seems that. At the outset, it doesn't seem as harmful. It seems fine. But if we actually analyze it, we scrutinize it, it could actually have a negative impact. There are potential issues that can arise from 
um, all of the changes in the omnibus law. But we've talked about, you know, the possibilities of a negative impact. Let's kind of circle this around, turn this around to a more positive light, and let's talk about the positive aspect. Um, I understand that the omnibus law provides a new social security program, which is the job loss security program, whereby individuals enrolled in the program may receive cash payments, trainings, and access to the job market. Now, is that true, or is that, and is there another hidden agenda there? Ari, do you have a thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's true. You're, you're totally right. There are also like a good aspects that are introduced under the manpower cluster for sure, and one of which is actually this social security. And I agree with you, like the, the, the concept of social security is not just, um, about uh, getting the compensation, but also trying to get them back to the workforce. So, so that's the idea, and I think it's, it's a good one. There's also like another good provision in which, you know, if, if uh, for example, you are detained or convicted of a crime and reported by your company and previous law, if the company reports you, then your relatives or family members wouldn't receive like, um, like some aids or assistance from the company. But now under the omnibus law, it can be interpreted that even though the company actually reports you because of your allegedly criminal conduct, they, they, this aid can still be, you know, argued to, to be available for the family members. So I think that's also like another um, good thing about it. And, and it also clarifies and streamlines some of the provisions, uh, for example, to consolidate all lawful cause of termination into one. That, that's also a good one. Um, but again, I think um, when assessing whether a law especially that affects the right of, of the general public, we should be really careful to not just be swayed by the um, positive things, but we also have to think whether the um, rem negative ramifications actually outweigh the, 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 the positive outcome. The positive. We should carefully pass the law. The law can be passed, but probably not now, and, and probably like the contents need to be uh, revised and then also involve like other public participation. So. Yeah. Totally agree with you there. Now, we've heard about the labor issues. We've heard the negative impacts and a brief explanation on the positive side. Let's now move on to talking about the environment. Now, a lot of people are saying that by enacting the omnibus law, they feel that the government is actually prioritizing business over the environment because they view the revisions as jeopardizing um, Indonesia's environment because of the laws and the regulations for the protection of our environment are actually weakened. Now, based on your reading, in what ways can the provisions in the omnibus law harm the environment? What are your thoughts on this, Grace? So, my thoughts exactly is that this omnibus law endangers the um, environmental uh, sustainability. So um, from what I can say is that um, the omnibus law somehow degrades the importance or the, um, the quality of a good uh, environmental uh, safeguards. So as we know, in, the, uh, in our current law about the environment, there are about 16 uh, environmental instruments. Uh, like we said, uh, there are 16 environmental safeguards that must be 
um, that, that must be followed in order to conduct business related to environment. So I just want to highlight four of the environmental uh, uh, safeguards, which is AMDAL, as you uh, uh, analysis mengenai dampak lingkungan, it's the analysis about uh, the impact on the environment. The second is about uh, izin lingkungan, or you can say environmental permit. The third is tata ruang. And the fourth is public participation. So um, these four uh, environmental safeguards or environmental instruments uh, were actually um, downgraded in the current omnibus law. So maybe not many of you uh, here who, who listen to this podcast were actually uh, familiar with all, all those terms. But let me uh, begin first with uh, maybe Amdal, the, the most familiar one uh, that, that, that you may have heard. Amdal, or the analysis about, uh, on the impact to the environment, or I can say Amdal, was actually made um, very, very um, um, participative uh, by the previous law. But then um, in the current omnibus law, uh, so let me explain. There are three, um, three stakeholders that can participate or join the making of the AMDAL. Uh, which are first the uh, society uh, that was directly impacted by the business uh, in the environment. The second, the environmental uh, activists, or you can say environmental enthusiasts who are actually impacted by the business in the environment. And the third one is whoever, whoever, um, uh, or whatever society that can be impacted by the business in the environment. So it can be, uh, although you are not, uh, let's say you have an asset or you have, a, you have your old house in a, in a, in a, in a, in a vicinity, but then um, that old house was actually um, was actually lived by your family. But you, that is physically not staying in that house, but then you, you can be impacted by, uh, by the business around that vicinity. You can actually have uh, uh, the right to participate in the making of AMDAL. But in the current omnibus law, those three stakeholders were only limited to only one stakeholder, which, which is the society that is directly impacted by the environment. So unless you're not, unless you're staying, you, you are staying within the vicinity of the business, you're not entitled to uh, actually participate uh, to make uh, the analysis, the AMDAL. So uh, for my, for my point of view, this actually, actually downgrade the quality of the AMDAL because which society in Indonesia that, that is credible enough, responsible enough, trustworthy enough, and I'm sorry to say intelligent enough to 
to be uh, to participate in the making of Amdal by themselves. So let's say you are going to make a business in a poor vicinity where where actually the society living there is not uh, quite educated. They are not quite aware of environmental issues and um, they don't really know or even more dangerous, they don't really care about the environment uh, surrounding them. So in this omnibus law, they are the number one participants uh, for the making of Amdal, which is very dangerous because um, environmental activists and environmental uh, experts cannot actually uh, jump in to the making of Amdal because they're not directly impacted by the Amdal. So what I mean is that the current omnibus law raises questions as to how qualified the results of the Amdal. So I've, I've talked about how uh, the three stakeholders have been limited to only one stakeholders, which is a society that uh, is directly impacted by, um, uh, by the business. Uh, and I would like to uh, talk more about then who will be the assessing or evaluating the AMDAL or the environmental impact assessment itself. So uh, in the previous law on uh, environment, uh, environmental safeguards, uh, the commission on uh, AMDAL assessment is the one who can assess whether or not an AMDAL is, um, uh, is passed or uh, uh, fulfilled the standard of the establishment of AMDAL. But then, in the current omnibus law, that specific article about the commission on AMDAL assessment is actually deleted. So now, personally, I do not know whether it would be taken over by the government or it would be taken by the regional government or it would be taken over by a new commission made by the government. But it doesn't. It was not stated anywhere in the omnibus law uh, that a body will actually assess the AMDAL made by one stakeholder, made by that one stakeholder. So it gives uh, it, it gives us a questionable result of the AMDAL. Not only they are um, made by uh, the society that is in directly impacted only, but also uh, the result of the AMDAL was not properly assessed by a specific commission. So um, I think um, you have to know that this commission consists of environmental experts, consists of um, the representatives from the society, and also the society um, that are uh, direct uh, that, that are impacted by AMDAL, not necessarily the society living there, but also um, society that are impacted by the business. So uh, this commission is actually very good because it promotes a joint decision making where it puts 
the balance between um, the the business or the investors and also the society who are actually living there and also environmental experts who have more uh, education or information about the impact uh, of the business. But since this commission was erased in the current omnibus law, we do not know as to how, uh, how this uh, AMDAL is actually um, good enough to assess the impact on the environment. So that is about the uh, commission. So um, I think I've, 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 I've talked about um, the AMDAL and also um, the commission that, uh, that is deleted in the current omnibus law. Um, and now I want to talk more about the environmental permit or uh, we know it as easy lingkungan. So um, in the current omnibus law, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and Ahari, I don't see the word izin lingkungan anymore because um, it has been downgraded to only persetujuan or you can say consent, persetujuan lingkungan or environmental consent. What is the difference between environmental permit and environmental consent? The difference legally, if we, uh, if we want to uh, talk more about the legal terms, um, environmental permit has the legal effect as to it can be uh, revoked by the government who issued it, but then environmental consent, it is still not clear whether or not this can be revoked or this uh, can negatively impact on the business uh, of, 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 of the investors. So uh, what's the consequences between an environmental permit and environmental uh, consent? So an environmental permit, it actually gives a very strong legal effect and enforceability uh, as to the result of AMDAL. So AMDAL is actually made to give uh, precautions uh, to the, uh, uh, to the uh, business owners or to the investors that they, uh, they have to prevent uh, number one, two, three in their, uh, during uh, the course of their business. And um, the output of AMDAL, which is RTR and RPL, uh, it's actually uh, written in the environmental permit. So, uh, the government must ensure that the investors or the business, uh, uh, business doers in that uh, society uh, uphold or enforce the result of AMDA, which is, uh, which, um, which is written in the Izin Lingkungan, in the environmental permit. So that's, um, that has a very strong legal effect because if you do not comply with it, then your izin lingkungan uh, can be revoked by the government. But as to the current um, model for uh, environmental consent, it is still not clear and uncertain whether or not the government can actually put strong legal effects to uh, those business doers or uh, those investors as to they revoked and stopped 
the operation or the business uh, if, if it endangers the, uh, the environment. Um, this is a very serious case because uh, it doesn't give us a clear, uh, a clear standing as to uh, how the environment will be protected because it's just a consent. Uh, there is no legal standing to it. Oh, as opposed to environmental permit, it, it is actually one of the products of, um, uh, of the government decision. So it's very strong. But then as to persetujuan or environmental consent, it is still not clear whether it can be revoked or whether the business can stop if, 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 if it's not going, um, uh, uh, if it's not, uh, if, it, if it doesn't go as uh, what the AMDAL result said. So it's, it's still not clear. Okay, that's really informative, um, Grace. Uh, now on to another issue from the um, omnibus law concerning the environment. It's about strict liability. Now, I heard that this was also removed, this important principle um, that's actually enshrined in various environmental laws in other countries is actually removed in the omnibus law. Uh, could you tell us more about that, Ari? Yeah, sure, Reina. So, so before um, explaining on how omnibus law changes that concept, so I guess we need to first lay out what this strict liability is. So it's, this is basically um, a liability that can be imposed to a, a person or a company without the need to prove uh, fault or negligence uh, of the wrongdoer. It's actually a for foreign concept and then implanted into our environmental law. So this is like one of the uniqueness of our environmental law. So if, if for example, um, a company conducts a dangerous, um, like normal, uh, abnormal and dangerous activity and then it causes harm, then the victim can, can seek for a strict liability without the need to prove that the company is at fault of the conduct that caused the harm. So that's the, that's the concept of strict liability. Now, under the omnibus law, this strict liability is removed from the uh, article concerning um, the liability to manage the hazardous waste. As I said before, strict liability is usually um, um, inherent in the abnormal, like, ultra hazardous activity or abnormal, abnormally dangerous activity, such as the, the management of the hazardous waste because the impact can be very harmful for the environment, for the um, surrounding community. Now, the omnibus law removes the language that says without the need to prove the fault. And now it only says that the company is strictly liable for the environmental harm caused by anyone um, uh, managing the environment of hazardous uh, waste. So the, there is like a big question on that deletion of the language without the need to prove fault. Because one can argue that now in order to invoke strict liability under that article in the environmental law regarding hazardous waste, you have to prove fault or there is negligence on the part of the uh, of, of the company that manages hazardous waste, oh, hazardous waste, sorry. But with that deletion, if you don't, if, if you have to prove that now, that becomes like a, a burden for the victim because they do not necessarily have the evidence to prove that there is a causation, that there is a wrongful conduct 
on the part of the company because they don't have access to that. And it's also very difficult for them to, to, uh, to just, just, just establish that there is fault on the company because that, that is, that requires like careful factual investigation, which I don't think the surrounding community would have access to, to really investigate that because most of the activities and, and, and the conduct is actually within the control of the company. Right. So I think that is unfair. Um, for the um, for the community uh, that exists near uh, the facility that manages the hazardous waste, because now it can be argued that they have to to prove uh, liability for um, harm caused by hazardous waste only if there is any fault of the um, of, of of the company. So, and I think um, that 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 is that is not a, a good policy to endorse. Right. Thanks, Arya, for that explanation. Now, we've heard about the issues concerning the labor and the environment and the omnibus law. Obviously, there needs to be more work and thought put into this law. And I think we can all agree that it would be wise to have the law discussed with the public, relevant stakeholders, and the problematic provisions should be scrutinized further. But unfortunately, the law has been passed by the DPR and it's now waiting ratification by the president. So I'd like to ask the both of you, what can we as citizens do during this time? How should we deal with all of this? All right, Rain. Um, we can see it from two different perspectives. First, probably from strict legal perspective of what, what, what can be done. Um, towards the the current uh, uh, bill of uh, this om the om this omnibus bill, first is of course the president has as as the right to actually issue a presidential regulation um, um, in lieu of the law that actually revoke this uh, omnibus law. But I'm not sure if that's going to happen. <laughs> he has actually edited uh, his position regarding this law, and he's one of the promoters actually. Uh, yeah. Promoters on this law. It's actually uh, he is the initiator. Of the law, exactly. government is the initiator in this. Like, so I'm I'm not really hopeful on that. And second is for sure uh, the um, judicial review uh, to be brought uh, um, in the Indonesian Constitutional Court to see if if any of the provisions uh, are against the Indonesian um, Constitution. But that's a very that's very difficult process, and and of course, there's also no guarantee that uh, the judicial this omnibus law would be declared unconstitutional, right? So that's from strict legal perspective. Now, what else can we do then? Um, first, for sure, like what you're doing now is like to raise awareness on the issue, to really um, educate people on what actually is the issue, or which which issue is actually the um, the um, correct one, which one is the false um, allegation, for example, against either the government or again uh, regarding the law itself. And second of all, we also have to be careful. Um, and probably need to be vigilant about what laws that are going to be passed by the parliament um, and see if, if some of these uh, draft laws are already in the website of the DPR or, or our parliament and see if there are also like controversial law with controversial provisions, we can then use our right as a citizen not only to exercise our freedom of speech or to, to raise awareness on the issue, but we can also engage, actually, if you, you see the website of the DPR, um, you can request for, for uh, a consultation and, and, and a meeting with them, but I, but I think you have to have a group for that. 
So it cannot be based on like individual requests. You have to have like an underlying organization for that. Um, you can also, um, you know, educate yourself by following many organizations that actually really pay attention to the draft law. If you're interested in environment, you can look at the NGOs about this. You can follow Walhi, you can follow other um, organizations and, and see if they write something about the upcoming uh, bill and, and see if you can be involved in raising awareness on the issue. And if you can also be involved, for example, in consulting with your uh, uh, representative in the parliament uh, through, through um, the underlying organizations. And of course, lastly, I guess, we have to be really careful in, in choosing our representatives. And if you feel like um, uh, you are voting so far based on the popularity of a person, popularity of a political party, you need to carefully think about that and see the past uh, um, records, see the track records, if, if, if they were involved in, in um, any cases um, or, or if they, they were involved in, in the parliament member that passed the law that probably you, you disagree with. So you have to educate yourself on, on the political candidates um, in this, to, to sit in the parliament and see their track records. Yeah. Uh, just to add on uh, Ari's suggestions on what we can do next regarding the omnibus law. Well, um, I think my, my, my suggestions is more for the listeners of the podcast. So um, most of you are, not, are actually starting to be aware of this omnibus law, maybe because of the strike or maybe because of uh, the high, uh, uh, the hype of 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 of, of the of the of the society uh, regarding this law. So what I'm telling you is that it's very very important to uh, make yourself um, uh, full of uh, credible information. So you have to, uh, first you have to seek. Uh, information from a credible uh, source and also a trustworthy uh, media. So you have to be really careful on what you uh, on what you read, on what you uh, listen to, and uh, uh, what you see uh, in 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 the, in the media. So how can you filter it? Is actually the easiest way is to first read it yourself, <laughs> read the law yourself. But I know even. Us, uh, law school students, lawyers, and, and, and someone that is actually very, very fami familiar in legal fields, we, we ourselves uh, are actually quite um, stumbled upon uh, reading uh, the entire uh, omnibus law. Uh, but, but that's the first step that you can do. You can read it yourself and try to understand. And the second, uh, you can, uh, like Ari said, you can educate yourself by actually uh, reading, listening to uh, trustworthy uh, sources. But then there are other methods of nonviolent uh, in order to convey your disagreement or uh, your opinion to the government. Uh, one, of many, uh, one of the many ways is through your public speech or declaration, or you can actually join petitions uh, to, to uh, reject this law, or uh, you can actually um, uh, do 
activities in your social media in order to educate more people, not only you, about the law. And also, uh, I will have to say that demonstration or strike is actually one of the ways to, um, to tell the government that the society uh, reject or the society uh, disagree, uh, are, are in disagreement uh, with the government regarding the law. We have to remember that uh, strike or demonstration is actually, um, I'm not saying guaranteed, but it's act the activity itself is protected under the law. It's governed by, by our law. So what I'm trying to say to you is that um, you, you, you cannot antagonize strike or demonstration as to violent actions or as to actions that are criminal. It's not criminal. It's actually protected under the law. What is criminal is that if, if, if uh, there is any forms of human rights violations during the strike, that's a violation of the law, but not the strike or the demonstration itself. So um, regarding the, um, the violence action um, done by either the demonstrants or the um, uh, enforcement officers, uh, it's actually against the law, but the demonstration or strike itself is not. So what we have to see is that we have to be, um, we, ha we have to empathize with those uh, workers, with those university students uh, who, are who are participating in the strike. But I must say that uh, we do not agree with uh, such violence actions, whether from the demonstrators or the, uh, or, or the enforcement officers, but a strike is actually one of the legal ways to tell the government that uh, we disagree with the with with the current policy uh, that is actually um, released uh, by the government. Uh, I think I think that's aside of the all the legal uh, solutions that Ari has said yeah. before. Mm. Maybe one more thing, Reina, which I think is also quite important in assessing any any bills, any laws, any public policies that sometimes I feel like some people are um, too accustomed to um, their background. So when they are reviewing a public policy or a bill or a law, for example, they tend to see it from the perspectives that they are familiar with. But when, when assessing a law, you should see it from different lenses. You, you should see it from the lens of, for example, this omnibus law from the employee, from the employer. You see it from the um, lens of the local community of the um uh of um like any other stakeholders that are relevant and and you should see that this law not just from its 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 um verbatim text but you should also try to educate yourself on how other stakeholders may see this issue because sometimes we do not have a sufficient background information on that and we may educate ourselves mm -hmm. on that okay. yeah 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 and uh, and and when you and when you are reading the law, remember that the law is made for the people, which means that uh, it has to uphold the principles and values uh, established in our uh, in our constitutional. And one of them is social justice. 
So um, especially for this kind of law, job creation, I think it's very, very important to see this from this perspective of uh, social justice and uh, sustainable environmental development. Right. Yeah, and I think it's also really great um, for our, you to discuss it as well with others, right? Not just to read it and actually mm. try to um, understand it from another perspective, but actually gain another perspective. Um, discuss with someone who may not even have the same views as you in order for you to kind of put yourself in um, their shoes, see it their way that can totally help, um, you know, expand your horizon and, and it, it helps you get another um, way to look at things. So that's, that's really, that's really informative guys. Thank you so much for um, the incredible information, the Pleasure. message our listeners. Um, that marks the end of our discussion on all of this. Uh, you guys have been so incredible and I really appreciate um, your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reina. Thank you, Reina. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to another episode of Uncovering Indonesia. See you all in our next episode.